Happy hauntings, horror fans, and welcome to this week's episode of Megan's Murder Movies. I'm your host, Megan, and this week we're jumping into the 2007 French bloodbath inside. Super pumped to talk about this one. I just did a review for this over on the Sinister Scoop, which I will link below. I've been doing reviews for them. I do 2B Tuesdays, so every Tuesday there is a review released for a movie that's currently on Tubi, which is free for anyone to stream on. Uh, And yeah, just to kind of give my thoughts and hopefully give some people something new and free to be able to check out in that horror world. I hope that everyone is having a great week or weekend whenever they're listening to this. Trying to think of what I've been up to. Doing a lot of uh, YouTube stuff. I started a YouTube channel, which is me playing horror video games. So been having fun with that, doing podcast stuff. I'm hoping to see Renfield here soon. I've not seen it yet. And Infinity Pool is actually on my list of things to watch this weekend because they just put it on Hulu. And I'm very excited to watch that one because I've heard such good things about it. That and Renfield, I'm like, I need to just have a movie day and watch both of them. So I might try and do that this weekend. Uh, Trying to think of any other horror news. I know that uh, that Titanic submersive is missing and like ran out of oxygen. I think today actually is when they would have run out. Um, So I know that that's something that's super talked about. I've not really been following that, to be honest. Just not really... Uh, that in terms like I will watch the goriest movie but the idea of going down that far into the ocean to no just no thanks um yeah I think that that's gonna be a no for me deep ocean and space I really want to learn how to scuba dive I think that that would be so fun like exploring wreckage that is safer quote-unquote Um, to visit that's, you know, not at the depths of the ocean on the bottom of, you know, yeah, just no thanks. Um, I I would do a shark cage any day of the week. That's on my bucket list. I really want to go into the ocean and be in one of the shark cages. I think that that would be such an amazing experience. Um, but bottom of the ocean, no, 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 thank you. No, thank you. Um, Other horror news, I know that M. Night Shyamalan's been teasing his next feature, which is a psychological thriller called Trap, which I'm really excited about. Insidious, The Red Door, um, all of the reviews, like early screening reviews for journalists and everything have been so good, and I'm super pumped to see that. I need to try and get tickets so I can definitely see that in theaters because I've not seen a single Insidious film in theaters and I don't know why uh, but very excited to see The Red Door hopefully in the cinema. We also have a little update for Hollywood Horror Nights. One of the houses is going to be Last of Us themed which is not surprising after how successful that was this year. Um, I'm really hoping I can go to Horror Nights this year. I have a lot of uh, like travel things that I want to do, and I'm just trying to figure out what I what I can actually afford um, and what's going to be kind of the biggest bang for my buck, so to speak. Really hoping to get to either California or Orlando to do Horror Nights this year for the first time. So that would be awesome. I know that the blackening has done amazing in theaters i'm hoping to maybe be able to sneak away and go see that i think that that's playing in my 
uh, local, not my local theater, but in the theater, um, you know, in the big town close to us. So really excited to see that because I've heard, again, nothing but great things about that one. Still hoping for some Scream news soon. Uh, everyone is thinking we're going to get it here for the next one. Supposedly the script is done. Um, very excited for that. So I think that those are kind of my little uh, updates from stuff that I've been following a little bit. So without further ado, let's jump into an inside summary. Four months after the death of her husband, a woman on the brink of motherhood is tormented in her home by a strange woman who wants her unborn baby. The Rotten Tomatoes on this, I 100% agree with. Critics gave it an 83. Audiences gave it a 75. I would give this out of 100, probably an 85, maybe closer to 90 out of 100. It was a wild ride. I really, really enjoyed how certain aspects were shot. And uh, yeah, it it was, it. this one's really fun. Um, I've watched it a couple times since watching it for the first time a few months ago. Uh, yeah, it was, it was great. It's a great one. Definitely. Uh, if you can handle lots of blood and gore, give this one a shot, but there is quite a bit of gore in this one compared to some other films that I've done on the podcast. Uh, so again, where to watch, you can stream this right now on Tubi and on Shudder. They currently have it on Shudder. It was just added, I think at the beginning of June. Um, you could also rent it on Google or Amazon or any of those types of places as well. But this is, I I think that they did an American version of this that came out in, I think like 2009. We're doing the 2007 original French film for this. All right, so without further ado, we can jump into a cast breakdown and we will start with the role of La Femme, the woman, and she is played by Patrice Stelle. Um Patrice was born in... France, uh, she worked as a model when she met filmmaker Jean-Jacques Benix. And I am so sorry if I mispronounce any of these. Um, I know I got a lot of, um, like, positive, um, I don't know if praise, I guess maybe praise for my uh, Midsummer episode and like my Swedish pronunciations, but I had taken a little bit of Swedish. I know nothing about French, so I'm going to try my best. I tried to look up um, places and names to make sure that I'm I'm saying things right, but if I mispronounce things or I butcher it, I am very, very sorry. Um, so Jean-Jacques cast her as the lead role in the film 37 Degrees to Le Matin. Uh, this was later it released in the UK and the US as Betty Blue, which we'll call it that from now on, um, which received BAFTA and Oscar nominations for Best Foreign Language Film and made Patrice a star. She went on to appear in a series of major roles in French films, including the 1989 film Chimer, which was entered into the 1989 Cannes Film Festival. She's seen featured in roles in the 1987 music video for Oh Me Oh My, I'm... <laughs> A Fool for You Baby, and in the 1991 music video for Move to Memphis. She starred in Night on Earth in 1991, and in 1997 she was cast in The Blackout, her first film made in the United States. In 2001, she appeared in the controversial film Trouble Every Day, in which she played a vampire, and 
Then she started inside in 2007. In 1988, then we will move on to our main character, who is the role of Sarah, and she's played by Allison Paradis, and she's known for Inside, Un Jour de Lustit, and Objectrof. Then we have the role of Sarah's mother, Louise, who's played by Nathalie Rossell, and she's a French actress, um, been in a lot of stage and television and film, and she's best known for her role in the 1991 films My Father's Glory and My Mother's Castle. Then we have Sarah's employer, who is Jean-Pierre Montbal, and he is played by Francois Regis Marchison. And he is known for Inside, Magret, and Masrin. And then we have um, Matthew, who is Sarah's husband, who is deceased. We see a little fl- couple flashbacks of him and a lot of photographs of him. And he is played by Jean-Baptiste Taburin. And the only credits that I could find for him were inside. Uh, so now that we have the cast, again, super short cast. Um, there's a couple of police officers in the film that we meet, but they all go unnamed. Um, I think there's only like one that's named, but I couldn't find any information on that officer. Um, so we can jump into the fun facts. The film was shot in chronological order, which I think is always really interesting um, to view the differences in films that are shot in chronological order and films that aren't. Um, in Spain, the film didn't have a theatrical release until 2016. The film was only released in Barcelona for two days, and then it was uh, removed because of the gore and the intensity. There was a premiere in Madrid as well for three days in 2012, and then again uh, was deemed too much. But the official limited release came in February 2020. So then another fun fact that we see in the film is that Sarah's house number is 666. And then one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Sarah is fighting with the woman and has an obstruction to her airway and she performs a tracheotomy on herself. And so this is when a hole is created through the front of the neck and into the windpipe to get air because in that scenario, the blockage or the obstruction would be high up in the throat, like closer to your mouth, but just kind of deep enough where you can't pull out whatever it is or cough it out. Um, And so the hole is created kind of down almost toward the base of your neck a little bit. And that will give, theoretically would give you enough um, airway to be able to breathe. And those are kind of the main fun facts that I was able to find for the film. So I know it's a little early, but we can jump into our scene by scene breakdown. We open with a very interesting shot of a baby inside of a womb. It's like, can I just say, I don't think I've said this on the podcast. Maybe I have. And if I have, I'm sorry. That is one of my biggest fears phobias i think it is a phobia um i will watch the scariest of movies give me all of the gore tacophobia i'm gonna assume that's how it's pronounced so it's the fear of pregnancy and childbirth and i oh the idea of having something growing inside of me no absolutely not 
Mm-mm. Put me in a shark cage any day of the week. Oh my gosh, my brain just views it as a parasite. I mean, essentially that that's what a baby is while it's growing as a parasite, but just like, oh, I cannot get past it. I will never have kids. If I decide I want kids one day, I will adopt, but mm-mm, there is no way, no way it will be doing naturally because that is, oh, it makes my skin crawl just thinking about it. So in this movie, I think those were kind of maybe the most triggering scenes for me was because I was just like, I just don't, I don't want to see it. I don't, oh, I don't want that. No, thank you. So we open with this inside shot of a child in a womb. And of course it's like digitally enhanced and everything, you know, it's, it's all CGI stuff. And we hear someone say, my child, my baby, finally inside me, no one will take him from me. No one can hurt him now. We zoom in on the child's face, and this looks like a, for the most part, fully developed baby. Like, it seems like a decent size, um, quite a few months along, for sure. And then it sounds like there's this crash in the distance. The baby seems to jolt, and then there looks to be blood inside the womb. Now we are exterior, and we see that there's been a car accident. It's raining. There's car pieces all over the road. We see windshield wipers going on a windshield that's half gone. And as we pan closer to the vehicle, we see that in the car, there are two drivers, or there are two people in the car. The driver is a pregnant woman, and she seems to have survived. She's blinking, and then the person next to her in the passenger seat is not moving and appears to be worsely injured than she is. So like I said, the pregnant woman is awake, alert. She's got blood pouring out of her mouth. She's got blood all over her face. She starts looking around, her eyes get heavy, and she looks over to her partner. She calls his name, Matthew. She looks down at her stomach. She caresses the belly bump, and then it appears she loses consciousness. We don't see who is in the second car, um, but we get our opening credits, and there's all of this blood on the screen being what looks like washed away and, and moved around with some other kind of liquid, um, but just blood everywhere. We also see what appears to be a sonogram of the baby along with blood and potentially body parts. It's a very eerie opening credit scene. Again, if blood makes you squeamish, this is probably not the movie for you. I can attest to the U.S. version. I think it's the U.S. version that they did. Um but this, this does have a lot of body horror in it. And so if that's not something you're into, uh, maybe just listen to the podcast or read my little review. The review is mostly spoiler free. But uh, yeah, just definitely this one I could see making some people feel a little nauseous. So our credits have wrapped. We see another sonogram of a baby, but this is now four months later. We are with our main character, Sarah, who was driving the car. We can see Sarah has a couple of scars on her face from the accident, but we find out that her baby girl is doing just fine. The doctor asks if Sarah has picked out a name. She doesn't respond, and then the doctor says, we will admit you tomorrow morning at 7 to be induced, essentially. And then he's like, again, if nothing happens by tomorrow, we'll fully induce you, but it's time for the baby to arrive. The doctor tells her not to worry and says everything will be just fine, and he asks if she will have someone able to bring her to the hospital or if they'll need to send an ambulance to drive her. She says, yeah, someone's going to bring me, and we learn that tomorrow is Christmas. They say goodbye to one another, and he says, enjoy your last night of peace and quiet. Now we get some interior shots of the hospital, and Sarah looks to be waiting in the waiting room next to a Christmas tree. They have, you know, set up and everything decorated, and one of the nurses comes to talk to her. We learn that 
The nurse has four children, and she asks Sarah if this is her first. Sarah doesn't answer, and the nurse explains it took her 13 hours to deliver her first child. The first ones are usually always the worst. The nurse says that she went through such pain, and then she's this nurse is sitting next to a pregnant woman, and she lights a cigarette, also in a hospital. I know that this is France, but it should be a thing in 2007 that you definitely shouldn't smoke in the hospital. It totally caught me off guard. And then she just, yeah, she just lights up a cigarette and keeps talking with Sarah. Again, Sarah's not talking or saying anything. And then another nurse finally comes up and is like, you know you're not supposed to smoke in here. Like, put it out. And I was like, thank goodness, because what in the world is happening? The nurse leans over to Sarah and says everyone here is full of shit. And then we get Sarah's first words in the film. She leans over to the nurse and she whispers, twat. Next, we see someone has come to pick Sarah up from the hospital. She puts on her hat, and she doesn't seem super excited to be seeing this person or having a talk with this person. We see the two of them walking through the parking lot, and this woman says, I'm really happy that with everything going on, you're not currently working. And we learn that Sarah is a photographer. This woman asks Sarah about her employer and seems to be implying that maybe the two of them might have something between them. And Sarah very clearly says that he's her employer and nothing more. We learn that this woman's name is Louise, and she asks Sarah if they want to do Christmas dinner at her place or at Sarah's. Sarah says she doesn't care, she doesn't want to eat, she's tired of eating, and she's not hungry. Sarah tells Louise she just wants to be alone, and she tells Louise that she should just go home. And then Sarah continues walking through the parking lot, leaving Louise standing there. Next, we're at a little park, and Sarah is sitting on a park bench watching a mother and father play in the park with their child, like a you know younger toddler. Sarah seems to be off in her own little world. She pulls her camera out of her bag to start taking pictures of the family. And next we see a man come and sit on the bench next to her. And we soon learn that this is her employer, Jean-Pierre. He explains that it's been rough without her working. And we learn that she reports and takes photos of the protests that are happening. And there's lots of protests going on. And Jean-Pierre says the reporters are all duds. And people are just not getting the stories that he's wanting and that Sarah used to get. Sarah gives Jean-Pierre a set of keys and tells him he needs to be at the house at 6 in the morning. So we learn that Jean-Pierre is going to be taking her to the hospital. He says, okay, I guess that means I better cut my Christmas Eve short so I don't keep a pretty lady waiting. Next, we see the two of them walking through the park, and he asks if her mother will be there that night. And Sarah says she doesn't give a shit about Christmas, and she'd rather be alone. Jean-Pierre puts his arm around her and says, you won't say that next year, I can guarantee that. Now Sarah's being driven home, and we see her just looking out the passenger window, watching the rainfall. Jean-Pierre pulls up in front of her house, and Sarah gets out and makes her way inside. We see that Sarah has a little cat that greets her at the door, and a little while later, Sarah is on the phone with Louise. Sarah's telling Louise not to bother coming, and we only hear Sarah's side of the phone call, but Louise seemed to, seems to be protesting this. Sarah's like, I told you, everything's fine. I'm fine. I'll be fine on my own. We've already talked about this, and none my, my opinion's not going to change. Sarah says that Louise can stop by on Monday, and she tells Louise that Jean-Pierre is going to be the one to take her to the hospital. We can see a little bit of her house, and it seems like there's a lot of stuff packed up in boxes around the living room. It doesn't feel very homey, definitely isn't decorated for the holidays. Louise is still protesting about Jean-Pierre taking Sarah to the hospital, and Sarah has decided that she's had enough of the conversation. She tells Louise she's going to turn in for the night, and she hangs up. Next, we get a little exterior shot of the house. There's really no windows at the front of the house. There's, like, two sets of shutters that I think that, like, obviously there's windows behind. I don't know if they're fully sliding glass doors or if they're just, like, floor-to-ceiling windows. 
but we can see that there is one light coming out of the house. We cut back inside and Sarah has gone into what appears to be her dark room where she develops photos and there's all of these photographs of her and her now deceased husband. They look really happy together and Sarah just stands there and looks at all of these pictures of the two of them. The camera pans over all these pictures and we get a lot of these close-up shots of the two of them. We cut back to Sarah and she's looking really sad, maybe a little frustrated, but as she's looking at the pictures, she gets a small smile on her face. Next, we get a side view of Sarah and we see a second pair of arms wrap around her and start caressing her stomach. We see Matthew is standing behind her. He lightly kisses her on the neck. The two of them almost kiss and then Sarah snaps out of that little fantasy and remembers the car accident. She leaves her dark room and then we see her sitting in the rocking chair working on some knitting. As she's in the middle of knitting, she realizes she's missed a couple things. So there's a decent sized hole in what appears to be a scarf that she's making. She sets everything down and she's like, this is just horseshit. And then she looks in the kitchen from the rocking chair and she can see that her cat is on the kitchen counter, like getting into looks like some leftover food. Next, we see Sarah has fallen asleep in the rocking chair and Sarah wakes up coughing. She's gagging. Seems like she might be getting sick. And then she does. She expels all of this white liquid that ends up falling on the floor, still coughing. And then the scene gets even weirder. Instead of like this white milky substance coming out of her mouth, which of course is interesting anyway blood starts coming out of her mouth and then it looks like the baby starts coming out of her mouth like she's birthing the baby the wrong direction sarah wakes up still in the rocking chair from the nightmare she gets up and goes to the front door as someone has rang the doorbell she checks outside but it's too dark to see we can't see who's there Next, the person knocks loudly and Sarah asks who it is. And the person's like, I'm sorry I'm disturbing you on Christmas Eve, but I have a problem. Would it be okay if I came in to make a phone call? And she asks Sarah if she has a cell phone because apparently this woman's car battery has died and she's unsure of what to do. Sarah asks what happened. And again, she explains that her car broke down on the corner. Sarah lies and says that her husband's already asleep upstairs and she doesn't want to wake him. This woman's like, I promise I won't make any noise. It'll just be a minute. Sarah's like, nope, I'm really sorry. Like, please try a different house. There's tons of parties going on tonight. I'm sure someone will be able to help you. The woman still insists that it will only take a second. And she's like, I really don't want to be alone out here with all the violence and protests that are going on in the city. And Sarah's like, as I told you, my husband is sleeping. You need to try a different house. And then the woman says, your husband's not sleeping, Sarah. He's dead. And Sarah looks shocked and confused. The woman says, open the door, Sarah. Sarah asks who the woman is and asks how she knows her name. And the woman just says, open the door and you'll know. The woman continues to knock. And then Sarah says she's going to call the police. Sarah looks out the peephole again and it appears the woman has left. Sarah goes to some of her windows to check them as well, but she can't see anything since the shutters are drawn. She makes her way through the house to the kitchen and looks out the kitchen window, but again, she doesn't see anything. She makes her way back into the living room and... The lighting in this is really good because there's only like a lamp or two in the living room and all the other lights in the house are turned off. So there's really nice shadows playing and silhouettes of Sarah. She turns off one of the lamps downstairs and it seems like she's going to just retire upstairs and then we hear loud banging. When Sarah turns, we see the shutters are open and this woman is standing right outside the window. But of course, when Sarah has turned a light off, we only see the silhouette of this person. Sarah says, fine go fuck yourself. She pulls out her phone and calls the police and this person is just standing there. 
Sarah gets connected to the police and says there's a strange woman outside and they need to send someone quickly. The dispatcher asks, you know, what she could want. Sarah's not sure. And she's like, but she knows my name. She knows about me. And then she tells the police that she's currently pregnant. Next, we see this woman light a cigarette and start smoking. And while she's standing outside the window, Sarah says the cops are going to be here in five minutes. So you better get the hell out of here. The woman punches the window. Part of the glass breaks, but not so much that the woman can get inside. But just cracks a little bit. Some, you know, like a spider web effect. Sarah looks really scared, and it appears she's picked up one of the knitting needles to use as a weapon if it comes to that. Sarah then sits on the couch and grabs her camera, and she's trying to take photographs of this woman to see if she's still there. The woman is standing outside right at the window, and you see all these flashes going as Sarah is taking all of these photographs. We see Sarah lower the camera. Now we cut to, I'm not exactly sure how much time later, but it appears the woman is gone. We see some shots from outside the house and it appears she's no longer standing in front of the window. We see Sarah in her dark room developing the photographs that she had taken of the woman. And Sarah then looks at the photo of the family with the young child. And as she's looking at the photo, it appears that there's a woman standing possibly in the background. And could this be the same woman? Sarah looks terrified and the doorbell rings. She slowly makes her way out of the dark room and we see the police lights. So finally the cops have arrived at the house. I don't know exactly how long it takes to develop photos in a dark room, but I think it's a, like a, a decent chunk of time. I don't think it's like a two minute you know, thing. So it makes me wonder how long it took the police to get there. So it looks like based on a quick research, maybe she could have gotten them done in about five minutes, uh, you know, since she's really experienced with that. But Still, I feel like the police time response time was probably a little longer than it should have been. Sarah makes her way downstairs to the front door, and we see that she's holding one of the photographs. She opens the door, and we see that there are three police officers outside. They, of course, are coming to check on her, and the attempted break-in is what they're calling it. Sarah lets two of them in, and the third one takes a flashlight and starts walking around the perimeter of the house to check for any evidence or any other people. The police officers ask if she knows the woman, and Sarah says she doesn't, but the woman clearly knew who she was. The police officer says, yeah, but your name's on the outside box, so maybe that's how she knew. And then under her breath, Sarah's like, but she knew other information, you know, particularly that her husband was dead. We see the police officer walking around outside the house. He's checking in the shrubs, and he's checking around the windows. Sarah shows one of the officers the photo uh, that she was able to get, but it's pretty dark. You can't really see features that much, and they essentially tell her that the photo's worth nothing. It's not helpful. It's too dark. The outdoor officer came inside and says that he can't see anyone out there, but she should just keep everything locked up, and they're going to notify the unit that's on patrol in the area. They'll come and check on her throughout the course of the evening to make sure everything's okay. Sarah says thank you, and the three officers leave. One of the officers even says it's really empty around here for Christmas Eve. And Sarah's like, yeah, that's how the neighborhood is. And this is the scene that you can see that Sarah's house numbers are 666. Now we see Sarah dozing on the couch and she's got the news on. We see the cute little cat climb on her lap and the camera starts slowly zooming in on Sarah. The cat wakes her up meowing. Sarah sleepily turns off the TV, and as she's getting up to head to bed, we see what appears to be the woman in Sarah's house standing in the dark behind her. Sarah takes out the phone and calls Jean-Pierre, and she's just calling to tell him that something weird happened, and she's hoping that tomorrow he can enhance a couple of photographs that she took. She doesn't really go into any more detail than that. 
She's now making her way upstairs. She heads to the bathroom. We see lots of pills, most of them not in pill containers, just like lying around. Sarah takes two of them, and then we cut to her laying in bed, just kind of staring at the ceiling, unable to sleep. Sarah finally turns off her lamp and is able to get a little bit of sleep. We cut to her sometime later, asleep in bed, and then we zoom out, and we see the woman is standing in her bedroom over her bed. It's totally silent. The woman watches her sleep and then exits the room. The woman now starts exploring the house. She goes into one room, starts rummaging through things and looking at baby clothes. She even takes out a baby onesie and seems to kind of like cry into it or breathe into it. And I love how they did the early shots of this because we do not see the woman's face until probably 20, 30 minutes in, I think it is. Um, The direction and set design and how they staged everything, we only see like a little bit of a side profile or the back of her head or the the lighting and the shadows are playing with it so we can't see her face, which makes it even more sinister and creepy. Um, And I really love that touch that we don't get to see her face until quite a ways into the film. Next, the woman goes into the bathroom. We only see the back of her head, like I said, in a few side shots of her. She's going through the cabinets, and finally the woman goes into Sarah's room and sits next to her on the bed. She's got a large pair of scissors and what looks like some sort of disinfectant. She rolls up Sarah's sleep shirt over her belly, and then she puts the scissors in the disinfectant liquid. She slowly moves it over Sarah's belly, the scissors, and then sticks one end of the scissors in Sarah's belly button. As the blood starts to come out, Sarah wakes up. The woman tries to, like, bring the scissors up over her head and stab them down into Sarah, Um, but Sarah's a little too quick. They wrestle around a little bit. Sarah hits this woman over the head with the lamp, and Sarah's able to escape into the bathroom and lock herself inside. Sarah locks the door. The woman is trying to kick it in. Sarah's crying on the ground and bleeding. The woman is screaming and clearly upset. Sarah looks at herself in the mirror and she sees she now has a gash on her face, another one, and then her water breaks. Her white nightgown is all bloody and Sarah grabs a towel and sits on the floor and just cries. The woman goes back in the bedroom and takes Sarah's cell phone. Now we're downstairs and the woman is putting ice on her face where Sarah hit her. We hear someone come in the front door and Jean-Pierre has shown up to check on Sarah. He greets the woman in the living room, and then we cut back to Sarah. She makes her way over to the door to try and listen to what's happening in the house. Jean-Pierre says that Sarah gave him a set of keys, and he thinks that this woman is Sarah's mom. The woman goes with this, and she's like, yeah, Sarah went to bed an hour ago. Jean-Pierre goes to leave, and then the woman invites him to stay for a drink. Next, they're on the couch having a drink, and the woman tells him to be quiet so that he doesn't wake Sarah. They were just talking about, you know, kind of random things, and he apologizes, and the woman says Sarah went through a lot after the accident. The woman goes to get him another drink, and he finds the Grady photograph on the couch. He's wondering if this is one of the photos that Sarah had called him about, and we see that the woman actually has a gun, and she's getting ready to pull it out, but then the front door opens again, and we see that Sarah's real mother has come to visit. She asks the two of them who they are, and Jean-Pierre says, well, maybe you should tell us first. Like, you are the one who just randomly walked into someone's house. And Sarah's mother's like, you know, I'm going to check on my daughter. Like, she goes upstairs, and as she gets closer to the bathroom, Sarah unlocks the door, and we see that she's holding one of those, um, 
like hair accessories that's essentially just like a long stick that you twist your hair in and and secure it with like what you do with like a pencil or a pen um but you know this is like one of those actual hair pieces i don't remember what they're called um but sarah very confidently ends up stabbing her mother in the neck with this because she thinks that it's this woman coming up the stairs Jean-Pierre hears the commotion and we see Sarah's mom collapse to the ground as well as Sarah. She's calling out for her mom, but it's too late. Jean-Pierre goes up the stairs and sees Sarah's mom dead. Sarah calls to him for help and then the woman stabs him in the back of the knee with the scissors. She also stabs him in the dick before stabbing him in the face and finally his neck. The gore and the sound in this scene are really intense. Sarah has gone back into the bathroom and locked herself in. The woman comes up and we see the hallway covered in blood and Sarah's mom on the floor. The woman goes to the bathroom door and stabs the scissors into it. Sarah's in the bathroom up against the door crying and the woman removes the scissors and goes back downstairs. We see the woman pull Jean-Pierre down the stairs and Sarah makes her way slowly out of the bathroom. The woman is now downstairs with Jean-Pierre and he comes to a little bit and she has to grab one of the throw pillows. She puts it over his face and then she stabs the throw pillow and Jean-Pierre. Sarah's now in her bedroom searching for her cell phone, but of course the woman's already taken it. The woman checks to make sure Jean-Pierre is dead and we briefly see that the scissors went through his eyeball. Sarah is making her way back into the bathroom as the woman is coming back up the stairs. The woman is able to get in and grab Sarah by her hair. Each one of them is fighting for control and the woman pulls out a bit of Sarah's hair, but in return, Sarah stabs the woman in the arm with one of these hair pieces. This makes the woman very angry, and she starts screaming and crying and kicking on the bathroom door, just like she seems to be having a meltdown. We see the woman light a cigarette, and she's sitting in the hallway. And during this scene, it seems like the woman is having some type of maybe break with reality, um, with like the sound effects that we're getting and the way the woman's moving. And then she seems to finally calm down a little bit, and trigger warning animal violence it's very quick but like trigger warning jump ahead 30 seconds uh the cat comes up and sits in the woman's lap and i remember thinking like i was really worried i didn't want the cat to get hurt she does end up hurting the cat um she just kind of snaps its neck really quickly and tosses it aside um sarah again asks who the woman is and the woman just says, open the door. Sarah stands up and is now kind of kneeling over the sink. Her stomach is really bothering her. She's still bleeding. She's definitely getting ready to go into labor. She drinks some water from the tap and is spitting up blood. And we get a shot from inside her womb. And the baby is moving around, clearly not happy. We're now outside the bathroom with the woman. And we can hear Sarah moaning in pain. The woman seems to be lightly crying and very angry. She's using the scissors to try and break in the door. She's like stabbing it repeatedly. It kind of reminds me of uh, The Shining a little bit. And she tells Sarah again to open the door. Sarah ends up breaking the mirror and she takes a shard of glass and she asks the woman, why me? The woman says that she wants one and Sarah says, what kind of a man would fuck a maniac like you? The woman tells Sarah again to open the door and says that she shouldn't be afraid. And then the woman says, you don't want that child. I'll take good care of him. Sarah says, what are you talking about? And then the woman again gets very upset. She's kicking the door again. We hear a police car outside. And again, the police are coming to check on Sarah. This is a different set of officers. These are the ones that are on patrol in the area. 
for the evening. We see that the officers have someone arrested in the backseat of the car who was part of the rioting and protesting. Now back in the house, the woman takes this little bookshelf that's in the hallway and puts it under the bathroom doorknob so Sarah can't get out. And then the woman heads downstairs. Sarah's trying to open the door, and then she takes the mirror shard and tries to stab it through the door like the woman was doing with the scissors. The woman is in the kitchen washing the blood off of her face. Two of the police officers are walking up to the door, leaving the third officer and the arrested man in the car. The two cops ring the doorbell, and we see that Jean-Pierre has been moved from where he was at in the living room. Sarah's still trying to break through the door with a shard of glass, and we see the woman grab one of the knitting needles and hide it in her sleeve. She makes her way to the front door, unlocks it, and she opens it a little bit. But these police officers don't realize that she's not Sarah. Uh, They ask her if she's okay. She says everything's fine. She's not hurt anyone, and the woman's not come back. The police officers hear something upstairs, and the woman explains that she's just doing some laundry. The police officer tells her to have a good night and to call if anything else happens, but that they're glad everything has been okay. They start to leave. The woman shuts the door and locks it, and then the two officers are making their way back to the vehicle. Sarah is now able to get her arm out the door, and she's reaching for the bookcase, trying to move it, but the woman has made it back upstairs. She grabs Sarah's arm, puts it against the wall, and then stabs the scissors through Sarah's hand so that she's stuck to the wall. The police make their way back to the house because they remember in their report that Sarah is supposed to be pregnant, but the woman who came to the door was clearly not. The woman comes back to the door, and the police ask to come in. They ask her what she's going to name the child. And then one of the officers tells the other one to stay with the woman, and this officer is going to make his way upstairs. The officer finds the mother, and he also his partner to arrest the woman downstairs. The other officer goes to the bathroom and tells Sarah not to worry, the police are here, and he starts to move the bookcase so that he can rescue Sarah, essentially. The woman downstairs is sadly a little too quick, and she pulls out the knitting needle and stabs the other officer in the face with it. The officer pulls the scissors out of Sarah's hand and tells her to open the door. The woman pulls out the knitting needle and then stabs the officer in the neck, finishing him off, essentially. Sarah's trying to make her way to her feet to unlock the door. She's able to do this, and the man, like, kneels down in front of her. And as he's getting ready to talk to her, the woman shoots him in the head with his partner's gun. Sarah quickly, again, shuts and locks the door, and then the woman starts shooting at the door, hoping, I think, to hit Sarah, which is a bit scary if you're really after the baby because you could do some serious damage to the child part, potentially. She shoots the lock and then makes her way inside the bathroom. Back in the police vehicle, the other officer hears the gunshots and knows that he needs to go inside to check it out. He ends up, like, chaining himself to the man that they've arrested instead of just, like, locking him in the car or whatever. But they bring him with him, which I find very interesting. The two of them make their way inside. And at this moment, the woman is entering the bathroom and is now covered in blood. Sarah's covered. Everyone's covered in blood. But Sarah has the piece of mirror ready. The officers come in the door and find the first officer down that the woman had stabbed with the knitting needle. The officer hands the arrested man his other weapon and says, here, take this, and they make their way upstairs. They find the other officer down, and we get this really great shot of Sarah against this little sink, and we can see the two men coming to the officer on the ground just outside the bathroom door. They find Sarah, tell her to stay calm. They're going to get her out of here. They tell her she's going to be all right. And this man who's been arrested is throwing up, and the cop's telling him to get his shit together. They tell Sarah to stay there, and they're going to be back in just a second. And as the officers are talking... 
he is also, the officer is also showing the arrested man how to use a gun. And we see the woman pass by the bathroom door, making her way downstairs, but no one else like notices because they're so busy with Sarah. They leave Sarah in the bathroom and she's still gripping the shard of mirror. Again, she's covered in blood. The two men come back and the officer asks her what happened and they think that the woman went out the bedroom window. But then the lights in the house go out. Sarah starts crying and the man asks where her circuit breaker is and she says it's downstairs. He takes the arrested man and they're going to go find the circuit breaker and get the lights back on. Before they do this, the officer gives Sarah the dead partner's gun Sarah is crying, and the officer asks if she has any bandages. They're rummaging around trying to find her some because her hands are all cut up from clinging to the shard of mirror. As the officer's wrapping Sarah's arm, she's crying, and she's like, I killed my mother, and he's like, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to go call an ambulance. We'll be right back. He puts his jacket over her, and then he asks her if she can walk. The two men help get Sarah off the ground in hopes of getting her finally out of this house. The two men go downstairs and want Sarah to go downstairs as well. However, she turns around and goes into her bedroom to lay down. Now downstairs, the two men are walking around. They finally make it to the circuit breaker and are attempting to get the lights back on. Sarah has made it to her bedroom. She sits on the bed. She lays down, and then she sets the gun down next to her in the bed. She looks exhausted, still covered in blood, and then we cut back downstairs. The poor man who's been arrested is holding the flashlight while the officer's trying to get the lights back on. The man cannot stop shaking. He sets his gun down, and the officer's trying to get the lights turned back on, and he's like, you need to stop shaking. Like, I need the light. I need you to focus. We gotta get this done. And then the arrested man notices that the gun is missing. It wasn't where he set it down. The officer pulls out his gun, and we're looking around the room, of course. It's totally dark downstairs, and we're just waiting for the jump scare. The music gets more intense, and then we see that the gun is pointed right at the head of the police officer. We got back to Sarah. We hear the gunshots, and then the man who's been arrested yells to Sarah, The lady's still here. He's trying to find the keys on the officer so he can, like, unattach them so that he can leave. And he's freaking out, this poor kid. The woman comes up to him, tells him to be quiet, and she's holding the bloody scissors in her hands. She brings the scissors up, and then she brings them down right on top of his head. The man is surprisingly able to pull the scissors out of his forehead, and then he's trying to compose himself and gather enough strength to go after this woman, but he's unable to do so. He quickly succumbs to his injuries and collapses on the floor. We're back upstairs in Sarah's bedroom. The woman is standing in the doorway and Sarah has fallen asleep in the bed. Then we get this really interesting scene where the woman's like caressing Sarah. She's like over the top of Sarah and it almost looks like she's going to kiss her. I'm not really sure what this whole thing is about, but she's very up in Sarah's personal space uh, while Sarah's laying in this bed. And then as this woman is really close to Sarah's face, Sarah jumps up and bites the woman. The woman falls off the bed, and Sarah is able to get up and make her way downstairs. Sarah gets to the front door and can't get the lock sorted, so she walks over to the officer who has the knitting needle in his head, and she pulls the knitting needle out. Sarah makes her way into the living room, and then the woman is behind her. Sarah's trying her best to fight back, but the woman has a little bit more strength and hasn't been injured as much as Sarah, and this, the, the injuries are really kind of getting to Sarah now. The woman starts kicking and punching at Sarah. Sarah's now lying on the floor crying, and the woman drags Sarah into the kitchen by her hair. Sarah scrambles to her feet and is still holding the knitting needle. 
in her hand and then she holds the knitting needle up to her stomach and the woman looks real pissed off that Sarah would even consider that. The woman grabs the toaster on the canner, the counter, but not the toaster part. She grabs like the cord and she uses it as like a projectile and she smacks Sarah across the face with a freaking toaster. Absolutely bonkers. Sarah falls to the ground and drops the knitting needle. Sarah seems to be having a really hard time staying conscious. She's wheezing, like I said, really badly gasping for air, some kind of obstruction in her airway. The woman goes to light another cigarette, and as she's doing this, Sarah sees a bottle of, um, like, spray cleaner, like, uh, I think, like, Febreze-type stuff, and sprays it in the woman's face so that the lighter and this aerosol goes all in the woman's face and lights her on fire. Sarah's still having a hard time breathing, so she ends up taking the knitting needle and poking her neck with it to open up her airway, essentially performing a tracheotomy. Somehow Sarah is able to make it to her feet. Uh, Her neck is bleeding quite intensely. She grabs a roll of duct tape on the counter and wraps it around her neck to stop the bleeding as best she can. Sarah then grabs a knife from the ground, stabs it into the counter, and then uses this like rod type of thing that was on the ground and stabs it into the handle. So she's got essentially kind of a bayonet. The music gets really intense, very fight scene, very determined, and Sarah makes her way into the living room with her newly acquired weapon. Sarah finds her camera and starts using the flash so she can see around the living room because, of course, it's still dark. The officers weren't able to get the lights on. We see lots of flashing. We see the two off the officer and the man who was arrested on the ground. There's just blood everywhere. We see Jean-Pierre dead, and Sarah is slowly making her way through the living room again. We see the woman hiding on the floor in the corner. Half of her face is burnt, and Sarah raises the knife. The woman says, you can't kill me again. Sarah lowers the knife, and the woman says, you already did once. And then we get a flashback to the day of the accident, and the woman was driving the other car, and she was also pregnant. But sadly, she lost her child in the car accident, but Sarah didn't. Sarah starts crying and says she was told there were no survivors. Sarah takes more pictures of this woman, and then the lights come back on. The officer that the woman had shot was able to get up somehow, and get the lights back on. Sarah goes over to him and tries to get his attention, but he's completely out of it. It seems like he's lost his vision. His eyes are all red and bloody looking, um, so he can't see. So he lashes out at Sarah and starts hitting Sarah with his nightstick. She starts bleeding profoundly from her stomach. The woman gets up and uses the weapon Sarah had created to finish off the officer. It's interesting that now they almost seem to team up for a second. Sarah is now pulling herself up the stairs, and the woman has the scissors and is going up the stairs after her. Sarah tells the woman that the baby is coming, and Sarah starts calling for her mom, and the woman's trying to get her to calm down. She tries to comfort Sarah. It's very interesting. After the night that they've had, Sarah tells the woman she thinks that the baby is stuck, and now we see this woman cut the shirt off of Sarah. Sarah is screaming, and the woman uses the scissors to cut the baby out through Sarah's belly button. Sarah is screaming, and we don't see this directly happen, but of course it's very obvious what's going on. The stairs are being coated, and I mean coated in blood, and then the scene goes dark. The house falls quiet. We cut to the lights being dim in the house, and the woman carrying the baby. She sits in the rocking chair. The baby starts lightly crying, and then we cut to Sarah on the stairs, and her child has been cut out of her. She is dead on the stairs with this woman rocking her baby. We zoom out and the woman kisses the baby's forehead. Then we cut to black. 
and our movie ends. This one is so good. It's so creepy. The fact that Sarah doesn't end up making it in the end, like, it's... This one is so... I don't want to say fun, but it's so horrifying um, that it's it's very enjoyable if you're into that sort of thing. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I know it's a little bit of a shorter one. The movie only has like an hour and 20 minute runtime, so it's, it's a pretty quick film. The pacing in it is so freaking good. Again, the lighting in this is awesome. Uh, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please feel free to like and follow wherever you listen. Would greatly appreciate it. And if you want to watch Inside for yourself, go give it a watch on Tubi or Shudder. I would really recommend this one if you think that you can get through the gore and everything because it's it's so good. I really want to watch the uh, like U.S. version that they did to see kind of the differences that they that they anything that they changed. But um, I really had a, a fun time doing this one. And a shout out to Ray on Twitter, uh, reanimate her for recommending this one to me when I. I asked for Horror Rex one night because it was just so good. Uh, 10 out of 10. If you want to see what the podcast is up to on socials, I have the podcast on Instagram and Twitter under M Murder Movies. So that's M as in Massacre Murder Movies on Instagram and Twitter. I hope you have a lovely week or weekend whenever you're listening to this. I will see you next week. And remember to stay safe and stay spooky.